0: Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info, that's halle We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Beshelach, or when he sent, covers Exodus chapter 13, basically verse 17, and goes through chapter 17, verse 16. Who is Amalek today? Well, one of the things that you see is that Amalek is a, you could say, descendants of a particular people that they've been wiped out In particular occasions uh, first with the attempt here and then you see later on with um, the Israel fighting against them and then you see later on with the prophet Samuel taking a hack at them and then you see as we we get into the time of Parim that a descendant of Amalek rears up again now that is the people the descendants the physical descendants of them but We also see that um, the word talks about the descendants of particular people, like Sodom. Now, the descendants of Sodom are not just physical descendants of Sodom. They're also the spiritual descendants of Sodom, because Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, is referred to as Sodom, both in the Tanakh and the, the Torah and the Prophets, and also in Revelation. Also referred to as Sodom. So there are the physical descendants, and then there are the spiritual descendants, or as they, as it talks about as you go through the Chronicles and Kings, they say that particular kings, what did they do? The bad ones. What is a phrase that keeps coming up again and again and again? They did evil in the sight of the Lord, and more specifically, they said they followed after you know, Jeroboam or Jeroboam followed after the sins. So it's one of those things of a physical lineage, but also a spiritual lineage. And you see that also in the uh, book of Revelation when it talks about the descendants of, (laughs) you could say, the um, ones like Jezebel. Now, is it literally Jezebel? Or should we look to Jezebel as a pattern for what is to come, for the one who is to come that will follow along and do the things to the people of God that Jezebel did and up in the, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. So uh, Larry, I think Larry has a comment over, over there. Amalek assorted with the, the Nephilim. Well, that is that is one idea, and uh, people have, dr- have drawn, because you also see the, the Nephilim show up at different times, so you get the ones that are like before the flood, and the ones after the flood, so thus you bring up a question, where did the ones after the flood come from? Yes, so you, you have like Anak, you have these p- ones that are talked about as being, this, as being descendants, but Again, it is physical descendants, but also in the path or the pattern of. So, thus, when you read the prophets and you see specific nations mentioned, one of the things to look at is, are you talking about physical, the nation itself? Or are you talking about what that nation did? Because a lot of what the, what the prophets, when they refer back to the historical accounts that happened, especially during the Torah period, they also are drawing from things that are happening in their present day, especially like when you, when you read Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and when they talk about and they reference to the Exodus and to what we just read here today, the crossing of the sea. And when Nehemiah is talking about the crossing of the sea and the journey through the wilderness, you know, is, are they talking specifically about the people that were there that day did that? Or are they saying, okay, remember what happened during that time. Now look at what's happening at this time. So repeat the good stuff. Don't repeat the bad stuff. But did you learn the lesson that your ancestors learned? And then when you move it on into the apostolic times, and we'll be taking a look at a little bit about that later, is that for people who are not physical descendants, but they are grafted in to the lineage of Israel, into what the Apostle Paul calls the commonwealth of Israel, you take on that history. Very similar to what happens when you have immigrants into the United States, when they are declared uh, citizens. They uh, take the, the oath of citizenship. They then can say our founders, not your founders of your country, but our founders of our country because they are, in a sense, adopted by the nation. So that's, you know, it can have a lot of applications for not only we as individual people in the family of God, but a nation and nations that are bolted on, grafted in, adopted into the nation, the people of God, but also to those that want to come in to a particular group. They want to come in to your particular uh particular friendship. If they want to come in To your particular nation? Are they truly grafting themselves in? Are they truly adopting themselves in? Or are they just dwelling among? And that is actually something that we see is a continual thing that will follow throughout the entire Exodus. Those that came out of Mitzrayim, did they actually ever leave Mitzrayim? You know, we had that. That old saying, you know, I left my heart in San Francisco. Well, you know, they left their heart in Egypt and they kept dragging it along with them. Big ideas of this particular passage. One of the primary questions that we have in this particular passage is what we read there in Exodus 17 as we came into a close. Is God with us or not? Because that is a continual thing that keeps showing up. Now, that is a faith question. That is a trust question. Is God with us or not? Because when you get the answer to that question, what does that do for you? You know, for example, you know, if you are needing help with something, if you need help with a task, and he's like, okay are you going to help me? The answer to that question will factor in greatly into what happens next because if it is truly something that you need somebody to help you with and someone is not going to be there to help you, <laughs> what? what then is going to be your success? Mmm, that going to have some challenges and you saw the similar thing with this similar question show up at the a uh, time when Israel was going to go first into the land, going to go first into the promised land. And they waffle back and forth. Well, is God going to be with us? These walls are tall. The people are big. And we, we, we can't do it. So then they forgot who was going to be the one who would go with them, into the land, with them. Yes, they couldn't do it themselves, but there would be someone with them. There would be someone who could take down those big walls, deal with those giants. But then when they decided that the Lord wasn't good enough to go with them, then the Lord said, okay, you're not going in. Then they decided to go in. But then they truly were going in by themselves. And then you see what happens with that effort. Wasn't, wasn't successful to say the least. So thus, you could say that is one of the most extremely important questions of not only this passage, but the, the whole endeavor of taking Israel out of Mitzrayim, taking him back to the land. And some of the secondary questions you see in this particular passage is, are we really free and where are we going? How will we get our daily bread and where, where will we find this living water? Yeah. Rose, you have a a comment or a question
1: here along with you. um, I see that in America today, we are, uh, we have that same attitude, like, just leave us alone and let us do what we want. And um, if I don't want to work today, the government will give me unemployment, or uh, I can go to the food bank, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really have to worry about it. Just leave me alone. And uh, as a result, socialism is creeping into our country. And there's a few of us that are on our knees praying and asking God to please hold this back. But I think because of the disobedience uh, and the sinful nature of our country today, I just, I, I just see uh, not a lot of fun things beginning to happen here. Uh, you, know, it's, you know, it's like you can tell your child five times, don't do that. And then, you know, at some point there has to come a correction. Mm. You know, uh, there has to have a, a discipline. And so... Uh, <clears throat> You know, God had to discipline them in this area several times. He, and, then, and, and as we read on further, which we will uh, in the coming weeks, we find out that God had to take out that whole first generation. They were so stiff-necked and so rebellious that uh, they didn't get to go, you know. And so uh, I, I put that in today's world, and I, I, see, I see a stiff correction coming. And, uh, and some of us who are trying their best to, to be decent are going to feel the whiplash of that. You know, we may not directly get the hit, but we're, we're going to feel the backlash of, of, of some of the discipline that's coming. And, uh, you know, that's where we all need to be in prayer, you mm. know, and asking yes. God for protection. And, and one other thing about is God there? Are we, are, you know, I know he's there. There's days like I have to mow the lawn. I'll say, Lord, I can't pull the cord on that, on that lawnmower, but I know you can. And, I, and I, I'll just be the, the one pulling the cord, but you, you're really going to turn it on. And, and, the, and it starts up. of the day, I had to get on a ladder and take leaves off the roof. I asked the Lord to just help, and he does every time. I'm old. I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm looking at 80 next year. And, uh, and I'm amazed at how uh, God uh, is my strength. And he, whatever it is I have to do, all I have to do is call on him. You know, if I'm sick or not well, he's there to heal. And, uh, and to, to have to rely on a doctor or a government, I mean, that's, that's secondary, maybe third or fourth or fifth, really. But I can call upon God, and He's there for me. He mm. is so incredibly, wonderfully, awesome. Oh man, He's on time, and He it, it, He's just right there. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get all carried away with that.
0: Yeah, well, it's a good thing to be carried away with, because <laughs> that's one of the most encouraging uh, things that we can really settle within ourselves. You know, is God with us or not? How, uh, we get- yes. How do we get our daily bread. Look. Yeah. So, again, that's a, a great picture, both with the daily bread and the living water. The physical thing, just like the physical descendants, and then what is the thing that we really need to focus on? Uh, Daniel, you have your hand up? The, the, the issue with Mike, with
2: Mike uh, the, the God with or not, it has a, a couple of personal connotations to individual people too and uh in my own family uh, uh there have been people who who were not baptized not following god's way of life and such and then chose to be baptized thinking believing or at the time or being convinced that somehow once you're baptized God will with you and life will be better and your struggles won't be so severe and all that kind of good stuff. And in reality, that's not how it works. Um, yeah, that may work for some occasions, but reality is you will still struggle. There are still hard times. And it is, it is harder to convince those who are youngest that that is the case. It is easier to convince those who are much older who have seen and lived life and seen their struggles and seen their successes and failures and look back and say, okay, God walked me through these things. When those who are young, they look at their lives, my life is miserable. It's awful. It's falling apart. Do they do works right. They, will, they think, oh, well, if I get baptized, it'll all get better. And it doesn't. It stays awful. It stays difficult. And so I look at that and, and and going back to Amalek, who preys on those who were the weakest, those who are struggling, who are just starting out. There are, are too many that just start out believing that somehow life will get better. And then it doesn't. It gets worse or gets harder. They say, forget this. Forget this God of yours. You can have it. I have no use for him. Have news for you, and then walk away. That happens more often than I like to admit, but it's very, very frequent. Um, and it's not God, baptism, or following God's way of life is not for the weak-minded person. It's not for the person looking for all their tr- struggles to go away, to be erased, or to be set aside and set free, so to speak, as they don't have to deal with them anymore. It isn't the truth? Who there's most people that I know struggle harder. Life is more difficult. It's more strenuous. I've spoken and said many times, God doesn't give you what you can't handle. That's not exactly true. And more often than not, he gives you so much that you, that you, you, you yourself believe you can't handle it. And that moment you turn around and say, God, I quit. And God says, now we can talk. Now we can have a conversation. It's hard to convince someone who's a teenager, or even the early twenties, that that's the case. It's easier to convince somebody who is much older, who has seen life and lived it, and said life is hard, life is crushingly hard. And those the ones say, "All right, I'm, I, I, I quit. I can't do this anymore. I need God." Versus those who believe God will somehow fix all their problems and make them vanish make their lives blessed and easy and walk a simple simple path and so that's a common question is god with me or not it's just, is am i following the right path or not is there a god or not all those questions arise for those individuals and it's not an easy thing to walk someone through but as with amalek God points out those who attack those individuals, those, indivi- those organizations or people who say, see, 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 God's not with you, you're, you're being a fool. Those are the people who are the most detrimental, because they're the ones who have the ear of the individual who's struggling, and they're the ones with the ear of the people who are trying to walk a better way. And there's a, there's a reason, I believe, why God put them, the children of Israel, through the wilderness to isolate them. To keep them away from people like Amalek, or like the questioning, is God with us or not? And to have time to prove He is with them. And so, for the individuals that I've run across, those in particular who have been younger, who believe that God is is, is question of God doing around or not even cares. That reality is the only way you're going to get that answer for you as an individual person is to walk away from your life. Walk away from the way in which you've been living, to isolate yourself and say, okay, now let's have a private relationship with God, independent of family or friends or anybody else. That's only I've ever seen anybody succeed in trying, instead of being young at least, in trying to comprehend: is God with me or is he not? That is a
3: a failure of discipleship in a way, because if we don't tell people That when they come to Yeshua, that if anything, their life will be more difficult because Hasatan will now attack them. You know, when you are in Hasatan's camp, he doesn't need to attack you. He can ignore you and go after the bigger prize, whatever that is. So when you come to faith in Yeshua and you decide to take on his yoke, now he's going to turn on you. And when we don't teach people that, we leave them in that situation you're talking about where they just give up. That's our fault if we don't disciple them properly.
0: Yes, indeed. So the, the section that we are going to be uh, taking a look at here further is the section that, that includes uh, this departure from from egypt and also the the crossing of the sea so with this questions that we're asking here about uh, where are we going one of the things to keep in mind is that this particular section that includes that goes from exodus chapter 10 and goes up through chapter 20 is this movement of israel from the plagues in egypt all the way up to the mountain and then with the giving of the 10 commandments and that particular journey is um you'll see it as a lesson a prefiguring a foreshadowing of everybody's journey out of their house of bondage to their house of freedom and that is you see that in the particular uh spiritual songs that that came out of you know Slavery in America, that that was very uh, noticed, that this biblical account here of the Exodus, the journey, and then crossing the Jordan, crossing the Jordan, shows up in a lot of the spirituals as an incredible sign of being entering the land, moving out of this, this time of, of testing and moving into a land of freedom. And in particular, this this period that is discussed here in Exodus 10 through 20 is a period that has a number of annual memorials that shows up. It is the period starting out with, of course, Passover there at the beginning. So you have the original Passover that's talked about during the 10th plague in Egypt, but that then is memorialized in Pesach or Passover, And then that is a part of this time period, the 50 days that then stretches further to that. And then that leads you up into another particular memorial, the annual memorial of Shavuot, or the um, also called Pentecost. So this particular package of these annual appointments Are a part of the reminders of this particular journey out of the land of bondage and into the realm of freedom. So, just a quick recap here of Exodus chapter 14 with this question well, is God with us or not? That uh, secondary question you could be asking yourself is, you know, are we really free from our former way of life? So, if you think of yourself, just like ancient Israel, as uh, going through the sea and you have your attacker, the attacking army of Egypt that is following you. That is like what the Apostle Paul talks about, you know, your old self, your old man, your old person, the way you used to be. You know, are you dragging that with you? Is that old way of life pursuing you? And then that old way of life then does what? Just like Israel going through the sea and out the other side. So then your old way of life ends at the sea. Ends at that point in time. And so then you move on. So just like Israel departs out of Egypt, so you are freed from bondage. You have one who breaks your chains breaks the one that is holding you, you are freed out, your old way of life is blocked there with this washing, you could say your old way of life is washed away in the sea. And then you go to the mountain. So one of the things that's always good to remember every time we go through this section is the order of things we, as people, may try to put them in reverse. We may say, "Oh, well, you just clean up your act, clean up your act, and then you get freed from your old way of life." Well, God's testimony, no, it happens the other way around. You have the Lord delivers you out of your house of bondage. Then you have you meet you meet God. You meet at the mountain for the testimony of God, to find out who God really is. And then you move on from the mountain toward the land. Now, each of us then faces that decision, just like the first generation of Israel did that we're going to read about in weeks to come. Do we trust the one who took us out, the one who took us through the sea, who fed us, gave us water, brought us to the mountain, do we trust that one? Or do we trust our old way of life? Because we got used to the way things used to be and the way things used to work. And we think, wow, that was great. Forgetting about the bondage, forgetting about the oppression, you know, forgetting about the ones who kept you and wanted to throw all of your sons into the river. Forget about all that stuff. But hey, life was good, wasn't it? Only for a season, yes, only for a season. So that is a an inc- incredibly important reminder of this journey through the sea. Now, one of the the things to um, think about in this deliverance that we have in Exodus fifteen, one important reminder is a passage here in Exodus fifteen seventeen. So as a part of the song. It mentions in there that you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Now, some people have noted that in ancient literature of the exact time period, that you have a similar phrase that shows up of the on your mountain. And relating to the... Um, worship of Baal, which brings us to the clash of nations. The clash of nations. So there where did Israel originally come from? Came down from Canaan, went down to Egypt, now is going back up to Canaan again. Now in Canaan, as we get back in there you'll see that when Israel returns, what do they see as some of the great Religions of the land, the balls of various forms are there. Plus, you've got Dagon and a number of other deities that are have captivated the different peoples that are in that land. But one of them you'll see, and uh, talking about ancient literature, is the Epic of Baal. We've talked about this before, but this is a good refresher because just like when we saw in in the plagues, the ten plagues of Egypt. That this was a battle and as you see it specifically mentioned several times that the Lord is saying I'm going to basically break the gods of Egypt in this process to show what to the superpower of the time that the Lord is the creator of heaven and earth and is the one who reigns supreme over all. All earthly powers get their power from the creator of heaven and earth. Now, that Pharaoh, just when we, in our last reading in the Torah, we just went through this, that that Pharaoh that was in charge at the time of Moshe's um, you know, return here to the land to get the people out, very different from the Pharaoh that Yosef encountered. Different Pharaoh, different mindset, you know, potentially even kind of a different kingdom of Egypt that was being faced at that particular time. But just shows you between a pharaoh that understood who was in charge ultimately and one who didn't understand who was in charge and had to be humbled, brought low by the God of the slaves, the God who was coming with the Israel. So also we'll see that there's a good lesson that when the cha- chapter 15 is talking about that the nations, Canaan is going to hear about it, Edom is going to hear about it, Moab is going to hear about this, what's, what's happening here, and they are going to shudder. Well, one of the things that was pretty dominant in the area, and you even see archaeologically that <laughs> another... Um, Interesting character that we encounter later on in the, in the Torah, Balaam or Balaam was actually a pretty big figure in ancient uh, Canaan, ancient uh, Canaan as far as a, a seer, prognosticator, but also one of these um, foreign gods. So when you compare what you see in the Exodus to what you see in the Epic of Baal, you'll see that there is a very stark difference. So, you know, you have some people that say, well, you know, the Bible just grabbed a whole lot of stuff from other surrounding nations and just kind of weaved it in there. Well, no, you'll actually see that this is quite, quite different. Just like the account that we have in Genesis chapter 1 through 3 is quite different from the account that prevails in the world today of, you know colloquially called the big bang but when you stack the things up against themselves you'll see that it is quite a different story in fact almost on its head and very similarly the song of the sea that we have in in recorded both in uh, exodus 14 and the song in exodus 15 quite different from the epic of baal for example the song of the sea You've got the message there that Hashem has no equals. Hashem created the waters, but the Epic of Baal has that Baal and Yom, which Yom is just the name of the sea, are equals. It's very similar to you'll have people that will say, well, when the Jews were off in Persia, that's where they picked up the idea of Satan because they just, you know, they were mixing it up with Zoroastrianism, you know, the light, dark, yin, yang thing and just kind of morphed it and rewrote it back into the Bible. Well, no. Very similarly, you'll see that with Baal and Yom, they're seen as equals, equal power, fighting and battling with each other. Whereas the Song of the Sea, there's no contest here whatsoever. And you see that Hashem uses the Yom or the Sea. Yom is the Hebrew word for Sea. Whereas Baal is fighting Yom, so battling with Yom. In the Song of the Sea, Yom is just a tool that the Lord uses. And Hashem defeats Mitzrayim or Egypt by using the waters while Baal defeats Yom and then takes over his holdings. So Baal conquers the sea, whereas you see that the creator of the sea, the creators of waters, um, has no problem with commanding them to do whatever the Lord wants them to do. And lastly, uh, Hashem frees Israel from bondage and brings them to Mount Sinai, while as uh, Baal subjugates the peoples from Tzaphon, or Safon, and other deities are ruled from the mountain. So, right when we were talking, we saw earlier about Baal Tzaphon, yeah, that was a known place in uh, ancient Canaanite worship, ancient Egyptian worship. So, that's an interesting picture and a message then when you have this system of worship that understands this kind of view of reality that you have in the epic of baal gets smashed demolished with israel's passing through and that's just passively you just see this group of people they just show up you kind of if you're looking at it from outsiders a group that looks like they're like running away from egypt egypt pursues you know the people of, of Canaan were quite familiar with the army of Egypt because uh, Egypt was up in Canaan quite often fighting one battle or another and mixing it up in, in Canaan quite, quite often in it, Egypt's history. So to see then the nation, this powerful army of Nitzrayim, just get destroyed in the sea was a message. So then when you see when the spies end up going into Jericho. Then Rahab heard about what happened. And that was decades earlier (laughs) by that particular time, but they, Oh yeah, they, they, they heard about it by the time they got there. So that is a a very important uh, message that comes out of this particular thing. Now we're, we're going to look to uh, spend our time here today is, um, while the, the standard Haftarah for this particular passage in Beshalach is in uh, Joshua chapter 4, part of chapter 4, part of chapter 5, uh, today we're going to take a little bit of a different Haftarah or parallel reading and into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which riffs on this particular uh, passage quite quite well. And Another parallel passage to this, which is also a very instructive one, is if you want to take a look um, some other time at Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10. So this is for another returning, you know, kind of like where Israel's returning from Mitzrayim, going back to, to Canaan. Here you have with Nehemiah, they're returning from, from Babylon to rebuild um, Yerushalayim. So, With this, uh, just a blessing before we start out here. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who chose good prophets and was pleased with their words, which they spoke in truth. Blessed are you, Lord, who chose the Torah, Moshe his servant, Israel his people, and the prophets and apostles of truth and righteousness. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moshe in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Mashiach. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well-pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and then they stood up when he play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you will be able to endure it. And so, it continues on with the admonition against uh, idolatry, which is something very similar that Israel faced throughout Israel's history i close this out with a blessing. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, Rock of the worlds, righteous in all the generations, the Almighty, the faithful one, who says and does, who speaks and fulfills, for all his words are true and right. Dependable are you, Lord our God, and dependable are your words, and not one of your words is ever retracted and fulfilled. For you are the Almighty, a King who is dependable and merciful. Blessed are you, Lord, the Almighty, who is dependable in all his words. Have compassion on Zion, for it is the home of our life, and the one whose soul is humiliated delivers speedily in our days. Blessed are you, Lord, who causes Zion to rejoice with her children. Cause us to rejoice, Adonai, our God, with Eliyahu the prophet, your servant, and with the, house, with the kingdom of the house of David, your anointed. Speedily may ye come and cause our heart to exult. Upon his throne no stranger will sit, and others will no longer inherit his honor. For by your holy name you swore to him that his light will never be extinguished. Blessed are you, Lord, Shield of David, for the Torah, for the divine service, for the prophets and apostles, and for this Shabbat day which you gave us, Lord our God, for holiness and for rest, for honor and glory. For this, Lord our God, we thank you and bless you. Blessed be your name by the mouth of all the living continually forever. Blessed are you, Lord, sanctifier of the Sabbath. Amen. So one of the key lessons that you see that the Apostle Paul is getting at here, uh, reiterated again, in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 through 13, which is, uh, as we've mentioned on different occasions, this is, um, for the Christian 12-step groups, this is one of their steps that they, they recite every single meeting, is that, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Now, this is following the context of this retelling of the journey through the sea and the journey through the wilderness toward the land. So this is what, what the Apostle Paul is Uh, looking to get across here that this instruction is not just for that generation not just for the following generations after them going into the land but also for us today it's something that we can look back on and see this journey as being something important for us and Really, I know for myself that that's why having these annual memorials of these events and what the things that were connected with them both in the past and in the present and in the future, why these little way markers in time are hugely important to remember as a part of what God is doing. Because if you look at this particular uh, passage in context, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's a part of a section of chapters 8 through 10, which is talking about these divisions that are happening in the congregation of, of Corinth that Paul is writing to in his first letter. Now, in chapter 8, Paul is introducing uh, this uh, issue of the food sacrificed to idols, and that those who would know the truth about the idols have to work patiently with those who don't yet get it. But the whole point of it is, is that These powers that are out there are subjugated. They're, as Paul would call them, no gods. Very similar to what we'd seen with the Song of the Sea versus the Epic of Baal. The people of Canaan were fearful, and they would do all kinds of obeisance to the various Baals out there, the Lord of this, the Lord of thunder, the Lord of the flies, etc., to to pacify them and to get good um, fortune from them but when you look at them in the totality they are no gods they do not have power so one of the the examples in here in this division is to for the apostle to say hey you've got to work with these people who are you could say detoxing from the pagan world and in a sense what what we're seeing here is with the Exodus experience is detoxing from Egypt. And you see this continually, the keep hearkening back we saw in the passage here today of hearkening back to the, the flesh pots, the all that meat and the wonderful life that we had back there in bondage. Oh, it was just awesome. But in actuality not really understanding uh what your situation really was in. So thus we could see as this is a path of life that we, just as Daniel was talking about earlier, as we're praying today, is that this uh, detox period of our own lives is something that is going to take time. And we should be very cognizant that it has to happen. And it will happen. And we will feel feel the pull back into our old lives and feel that... um, you could say that that spiritual gravity pulling us down, the spiritual inertia that we have to work against to get moving, to move anywhere. So that is just a re. Oh yes, uh, is that uh, Diane? Yes, go ahead, Diane.
3: It is, well, I don't want to. I don't want to take much time, but I just when I look back into the Exodus, what we were just coming up out of, you know, uh, and that. You know, the Lord, um, He heard their want. We know that He heard them wailing and crying, and oh, how tired we are of all this stuff. And, and so, um, He granted them what they wanted because He is a loving Heavenly Father. And there was a couple of things that, that, you know, stood out for me more clearly, uh, in this time as we passed through this, uh, time of studying this Torah portion. And that, that, um, you know, God can grant us, what we want we might just very well get what we want but it talks about um and and the thing is that the manna the the bread that he was giving them in Psalm 105:37 it says there was not one feeble person among them which was just awesome how God worked and that but they were tired of it didn't work for them they wanted this that and the other and how much i see that in our my own life or have over time and that and uh but well, God sent them what they wanted, but he sent a leanness to their soul and that. It talks about that where he, um, you know, in Psalm 106.15, it says, what a dreadful, you know, he said, God gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. You know, they were coveting that. That I know that we know that God hates that sin and that. I'm just telling you what stood out for me. I don't know what God um, and he and so with God, we can be satisfied with very little. I'm not saying that she, we shouldn't want to do better or, or we have goals, but with him, there's satisfaction. And, um, and, the only, and there's only leanness of soul and emptiness and a, an insatiable longing that can never be filled because we keep looking at the, you know, we keep looking horizontally. We keep looking at the things of this world and we keep looking back and And Paul talks about, I don't know if this is making sense, but it does for me. He he talks about the good that I would. He says, I do not. And he says, I hate that, which I do. He wants, you know, he he had that spiritual uh, battle going on and that. And and many of us, you know, say that God is first place in our lives. And I've said it. I'm not pointing fingers at others, but I'll just use myself. But our desires actually reveal our hearts. And in Luke 6.45, he says, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, ouch. You know, God viewed the hearts of, his, of his, us His people and the malnutrition of our souls. And sadly, we often view God consciously and unconsciously as positioned only to fill feel, feel our endless requests and questionable desires. That was just in my heart, and I wanted to share it. And thank you for letting me take a couple of minutes here and that. Thank you. The oh, people well, got thank what you. they wanted, but they spoke missed out of their own love. But God still granted their wish. That shows that he, you know, I mean, he, he's a loving uh, father, you know, a father, no matter how incensed he may be against his children, uh, he always tries to take care of them. And uh, I saw that, too. So thank you.
0: Hmm. Amen. Yeah, well, thank you for, for that reminder. You bring up a, a very interesting point about being content. Because that is one of the, the key ways that um, we can really work with the, with the blessings that come from the Lord on this. Because if we are content, then we're not coveting, craving the other things. If we're blessed, we then are not greedy to hang on to these blessings, but we then can pass these blessings on to other people to be able to serve and to pass these things along as we are granted to them you know one of the things that's mentioned about moshe is that you know he's one of the humblest men to ever walk the face of the earth but and you see that with then how much more is mashiach humble in what he took it talks about there that um in was it john chapter 13 where like going up to the, the last Pesach, where it says you know, that he knew where he come from, he knew where he was going, so then what? He was able then to take on this garb and the role of a servant to stoop down and clean the dirty feet of his students. You know, because you think...
3: And I say
0: one thing? Yes, uh, go ahead, well, Diane.
3: One thing is, when he stooped down... And he and he humbled himself just like you said. He not only washed those; he washed Judas Iscariot's feet, and he did it in unconditional love.
0: Oh, Amen. Yeah, great, great observation. Yes, even even to one who was going to betray him, and then you could see kind of in, in the grander scheme that you know the foretelling of this betrayal that would come from his own, not just from one person, Yehuda Ishkariot, but from a large group of his brothers, as it talks about in Isaiah 53, that you know, he would come to his own. And reiterated again in John chapter 1, that he would come to his own, and his own would not accept him. So even with that taking on the role of a servant. So thus when you see that the Mashiach is saying, you know, hey, when people are persecuting you, to not lash out against them. So, that is something that is learned throughout this entire journey, that we all take from where we were before, to where God is going to take us, and into that land of rest. So, in the context of that, you see like in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you know, Paul is saying that uh, he would, wouldn't take any sort of compensation so that he would not be a burden on those, even though he's saying, yeah, there's, there's plenty of examples in, in the word that those workers are uh, worth their wages. In fact, one time that when Yeshua was sending out his students on you know, their own mission trip, he said you know a person is worth their wages they're worth their um just stay in the house where you are welcomed and if they greet you in give it give the house your peace even the town but if they don't then <laughs> that's something that is uh noted in heaven and you know, in various accounts of the sodom and gomorrah experience being hospitality being among the other grave sins that was, uh, or I should say, inhospitality. Very inhospitable people of Sodom and Gomorrah. So with that, then we can see that some of the instructions that we have in this particular passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that this midrash, this discussion, this reflecting back on the Torah experience of the exodus, the travel through the sea, that this, and it talks about being baptized. Now, baptizo is also used, the Septuagint or the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible, also uses that term for talking about when they took the hyssop during the, the Pesach and also in the tabernacle in the temple, they would take the hyssop and then they would baptizo the hyssop down into the blood it just means to just submerge something into something else now with that is a, a picture of something taking on something else so with all of us with uh, it talks about that they were baptized into moshe very interesting picture because you see in other passages that Uh, like earlier on in in, uh, Romans and also in Galatians, where the Apostle Paul is talking about being uh, baptized into the Messiah, not just through some sort of a, a function or a name or ritual, but into taking on the thing that you are put into. Because what was the whole purpose of the hyssop going into the blood? So the hyssop would pick up the blood to put it onto the doorposts. And then for the priest then to use what was uh, the water then that they were using to also um, carry that and move that somewhere. So then we too also, if you're baptized, then the, those folks going through the sea baptized into Moshe and where he was going. So we baptized into Messiah do what? We take up Messiah. You see also that picture of being in Christ and of Christ, in Messiah and of Messiah, that, that picture of taking up Messiah with us, just like the hyssop, taking up the blood, that it comes up with us so that we can become the Instruments of the Messiah to move around, so it's not only just covering, it's not only just cleansing, but it is also taking it up to move around. So that is a very interesting picture when we look at going through, baptized into the cloud and into the sea. As as someone noted, that the ones that were really uh, baptized or submerged in the sea, whereas what? The Egyptian army, they were the ones that went into the sea and stayed there or ended up just washing up on the, on the shore. But the ones that went through and took not what? Didn't take the seawater with them, but they took what happened there, what that represented, because it said that in the end of this experience, what they believed they trusted in Moshe, and they trusted in the Lord who directed Moshe. And Moshe kept saying several times, hey, you know, you're, you're blaming me for this. Well, you know, the Lord is the one who's really doing this. So the Lord is the one who's directing these things and bringing them forward. So the Lord is the one who put this staff, talks about this, the staff of God into the hand of Moshe to make this happen but this trust that came through that experience do you take that trust with you well we we see that that is the, the whole learning process because the taking that trust in the sea didn't quite go as far as Massa and Meribah which is where Exodus 17 comes in in Exodus 17 where it Riffs on this whole experience, Exodus 17. Again, we're back to the question: Is you know, is God with us or not? And with this experience of is God with us, the the people had experienced the ten plagues. They'd experienced going through the sea. And they've experienced the pursuit. They've experienced this daily bread. And so, when you get to this question is God with us or not? A very interesting aspect of that is that uh, what we have translated as, is God with us or not? Some translations like New American Standard uses, is God among us or not? Coming from the Hebrew word of Karav, which comes from Karav, and you encounter Karav a lot when you get into the book of Leviticus, because that's what we then get, as it's transliterated in the Gospels, talking about Korban, you get that picture also of this, the thing that is going to approach. That which approaches, just like the offerings, you take them to the tabernacle, you take them to the temple, but then they go on ahead of you toward the presence of God. So thus you see it coming the other direction. Is God coming toward you? Is God coming among us? Well, the demonstration is in the actions, the delivering out of Egypt, the delivering through the sea, the daily bread, the living water. And as the Apostle Paul talks about this, <laughs> we've, we've mentioned this on, on previous occasions because um, it's picked up in, and some of the rabbinical legends about the, um, that this stone associated with the, the water coming from the rock was, it was pictured in the legends as being like a rolling rock that just followed along with the congregation all the way through to the death of Miriam there on the outskirt of the land. So that, that picture of the rock, again, you know, you're talking about a literal rock, or is it the? <laughs> it always comes in the song, you know, Ma'atzor Yeshuati, the Rock of Salvation. That Rock of Salvation that followed them involved the cloud, involved the food, the bread, the daily bread, involved the water from the rock. That rock was always moving with them all the time, and they would call on uh especially when you get to the end of deuteronomy 32 talking again about the uh the rock you know the rock no one is like our rock they might have their rocks their pebbles out there their balls out there that may think there's something but no one of them is like our rock which is dependable it is something that you can, as Yeshua used in one of his parables, you can build on it. It is something that if you sink your foundation into it, it is sure. You don't have to worry about it moving on you and failing on you. Uh, yes, yeah, so Ann has a comment or a question over there.
1: Well, um, years ago anyway,
2: um, we were told St. Peter was the rock. We know that Saint Peter was not the rock; he was, he was just a disciple of the Lord.
0: Yes, and that's kind of a, kind of another discussion, but it's a it's a very interesting wordplay that you get in uh, Greek at that point between rock and little rock, and uh, <laughs> that's a, kind of an interesting little wordplay there. But you're like, okay, you have the rock, the rock of Israel, and then you've got you know, a rock or the, the, the little rock that you can depend upon. And that being something that, uh, Messiah was instilling in Peter, the, he would be a rock, a foundation for the, the believers, but also for, uh, the other students around him to, to, uh, look to him as a leader, you see also just as Moshe had his failings as a little rock of Israel, so Peter did have his failings, and you know you see that issues with the time of the resurrection and his trust faltering. You also see uh, later on in his encounters with the apostle Paul, you know, having some uh needing some correction. So there are those leaders who can be a source of strength and a source of direction but you know absent of the actual realm of God you know they can fail and falter so Peter and Paul being and Moshe being examples of leaders human leaders that are dependable but they aren't like our rock And then we shouldn't be shaken if some of those little pebbles or smaller rocks will fail, roll, shift, whatever. And we shouldn't build our foundation on those little rocks, but rather on the rock. Amen. So that is one of the the key lessons here. And just we'll end with uh, something related to the first part of Exodus chapter 17, Massah and Meribah. Now, we've, we've covered this at length in times past because this is a jumping-off point for what is discussed at length in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. Chapter 3 brings and starts quoting from both this passage here in Exodus chapter 17, but also in Psalm 95, because Psalm 95 riffs on this passage here in exodus 17 and then hebrews riffs on psalm 95 talking about i swore my wrath they will not enter my rest so you've got rest this picture of rest the rest being the land the place where israel would be returning the place where they had come from the place where they were going the place that was promised through avraham that this would be a physical Location where there would be a beachhead, a foundation planted for heaven. The, the, and you see that at the end of Revelation that eventually there would be the city of God coming and putting its foundation there. But ahead of that, that foundation was put ahead of time from avraham's time and then also when the temples established there finally at jerusalem you see that foundation being built up as well that this would be a a center point for all of the earth to be gravitated about that's why we you know have uh one of the things is that we at least a- acknowledge with the hope of all the people of god that This place, uh, roughly somewhere off toward our east, if you go far enough, is going to be the place where the dwelling place of God will eventually be among mankind. So, what has been before will be again, which is what we'd expect from the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. So, one of the key lessons that we get from this passage that we have in uh, Exodus 7, 17 in the verse seven verses about Massah and Meribah is this question of um, are you going to trust are you going to trust the one who can give you water to also give you bread to also take you into the land. So those that then, uh, the ten or the eight spies that convinced the congregation of Israel to say, okay, no, the Lord isn't giving us the land, so we can't go in. Are we going to be ones that will then shrink back from that and say, no, we won't go into the rest. We won't go into this rest, this destination place that the Lord has created for us. Do we are then trusting that the Lord does not have that as our destination? Okay, he took us out of our house of bondage. Took us through, introduced us to him. Who he is, his testimony, his laws, statutes, his covenants. Then takes us all the way up to the place where we're supposed to go. And then says, oh, I I can't help you there. You're on your own. No, that's where the trust continues the one who took you this far is going to take you all the way in and so thus you see that this this picture there in hebrews three and four of entering his rest being encapsulated there with uh in chapter four of hebrews where it says well there still exists then a shabbat rest for the people of god so that shabbat rest of the people of god is a picture of this rest that all of us are headed for all of us headed for in life and thus then you see in chapter 4 of hebrews then you see it handed off and introduced to whom we have this great high priest who is not one who does not know what we experience not just some Far off absentee landlord who has no idea what we're going through and doesn't pay any attention to the leaky pipe, so to speak, you know, the overflowing toilet, so to speak, that is happening in our lives, but knows exactly what's going on in our lives and is there to fix the problem. So, thus, we introduced in the latter half of Hebrews 4 of the high priest, and that continues on <laughs> through chapter 10 of Hebrews, where you see the pinnacle of the picture of Yom Kippur and what all that is supposed to mean is pictured right there. That, that is the culmination, what the pinnacle of the New Covenant promise is about. We, we see it foretold in a, a picture there with Yom Kippur in Leviticus 16, but also Jeremiah 31, where you get this picture of the New Covenant. And the key punchline for the new covenant is that he will forgive our iniquities and remember them no more. But a key to that part is that they will all know the Lord, from the least to the greatest. So, that is a part of the culmination of knowing the Lord, is then a part of the forgiving the pushing out of our iniquities, the things that we cannot deal with. The iniquities of our lives are like the walls and the giants of the land. Because one of the things that Yom Kippur teaches us is that, okay, there are ways that we can you know, move back away from the sins and transgressions. There are that part of the, the journey that we take in moving our heart back toward the lord ourselves but when it comes to iniquities that kind of uh the the treason the the great uh rebellion against god that is something that only the high priest can deal with on our own behalf so similarly just like where we ended in our passage here today in exodus looking at stand back and see the salvation of the lord That is a picture of what Yom Kippur is. You stand back. You humble yourself. Because what? You'll see. Can't really see it because the high priest is working inside the tent mostly. But you will see it. You will perceive the salvation of the Lord. Because that high priest is dealing with not only your sins and transgressions, but also the iniquities. And with that being covered, the picture of then putting them on to the other goat and taking them out. So, picture of the new covenant, for foreshadowing. That he would remove your iniquities and remember them no more. <laughs> so, hallelujah, that's one of the, the great pictures that we have. Um, consistent throughout the word that this is what heaven is trying to do now not just basically get you out of prison and then just say good luck but to take you out of a life that was a point of bondage that was keeping you from being who heaven really wants you to be but not just taking you out of that situation but also saying all right, we're, we're going to take you to the spiritual halfway house out of prison so that you can get back into the life that you should be going in. And then getting you the, the spiritual job training so that you can then move on into the new life that heaven wants you to be. And that's really what this transition out of Egypt to the mountain and then into the land is really all about. Not only just for them, but for us today and for going on into the the day of the lord. So uh, any last thoughts as we uh close things out here today? Oh uh yes, Rose, do you have a comment or, or a question?
1: Uh God uh, brought me out of Egypt about 54 years ago. And I've been on a real long journey and I have to admit I've had to go around the mountain a few times. <laughs>
0: Going around the mountain,
1: but as I continue on my journey, I can see home in the distance. Oh man! I'm on the knoll right now. I'm not working too much in the in the garden so much no more. But I'm on the knoll, and I can see God, and He's saying, "Rose is coming. Oh, now get man. the fatted calf. <laughs> get the robe. Get the ring." You know, he's, he sees me in the... I'm still in the distance, mind you, <laughs> but he sees me, uh, and so I can see home, and uh, it's a pretty wonderful feeling to know that God has been with me this whole time, and he's carried me all the way to where I can see <laughs> him. Um. And uh, it's, it's just pretty wonderful. You know, that's why I love that uh, poem, The uh, Footprints, mm-hmm. because uh, when I look back and I see one set of footprints, I know that was him carrying me at that time when I couldn't carry myself. And he lovingly picked me up and held me and loved me in, in his arms and, um, and helped me move forward. Mm. And uh, so I'm grateful to God and I'm grateful for this journey. Every bad thing, evil thing, ugly thing, good thing, beautiful thing, all of it. I love it all mm. because it's made me who I am today and who I will be able to be uh, in the kingdom. And, and hopefully, uh, God willing, I'll be a teacher. Uh, you know, he'll let me um, teach someone else uh, of his loving kindness. So I look forward to that day when, we'll, when he sets his feet upon the Mount of Olives Mm. And his kingdom will come. Amen. It's going to be a glorious day. For some, but for others, it's not going to be very pleasant. But I look forward to that day.
0: Amen. Well, thank you. All right, we'll I'll close things out with prayer. Father God, we thank you and praise you for giving us the testimony of your servants through such a long period of time. And we thank you for the testimony of the word made flesh in your son, Yeshua. Father, we thank you for covering over our sins, transgressions, and iniquities with his blood. We thank you in his name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at halel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info.